September 3rd, 1967, the black and amber tide turns. A four-part documentary series on KCLR presented by Kilkenny Hurler, Michael Fenley. People really believe Kilkenny would never beat Tipperary in an All-Ireland final. So at 67, to my memories of it then, Kilkenny anyway, hurling was at a low ebb and, and, and there was very little optimism around regarding that year's championship. Kilkenny hadn't beaten Tip in a final for 45 years, so it was a big, it was a big ask for us going up. But the Tip team were ageing and there were chinks in the armoury. Kilkenny had to be strong, had to be physical, had to front up. I'm Michael Fenley. Um, over the years, you'd hear of tales of, of players and you'd hear of what they did, maybe, but they're only really small snippets. So I'm, I'm down here in the idyllic Innistig in Eddie Kerr's uh, living room, joined by Eddie and the great Tom Welsh of Thomastown. Today we're going to talk about the 1967 All-Ireland Final against Tipperary, um, a historical day. Kilkenny uh, hadn't beaten Tipperary for 45 years. Really, I suppose, 67 for, for this Kilkenny team, they need to get the monkey off the back. So... Just come back to that time, lads, of 67. Talk me through where you want to start. If you look at the history of, of Kilkenny hurling, if, if you look back at the 1940s and the 1950s, it's very important for Kilkenny range. We only won one All-Ireland in the 40s and 1947, and we also only won one in the 50s, 1957. So there was no real f- flow to it like there was in the 30s. They won three or four or whatever. But basically... The nucleus of the team grew out of winning the 63 one, in my view. It was a bond came in it, and between us. I was straight on 19 when we won that, that final. And we were meeting a wonderful Waterford team, and it was a fantastic match. I, I refer to it against any measurement that uh, hurling All-Ireland finals would be. For example, there was 10 goals scored in this All-Ireland final in 1963. And there was something like uh, 29 points, as well. it was, I think it was anyway. It was 470. You know this figure very well. It's, it's the only score you, you, you I know. You scored the most, the <laughs> most points that was ever scored It's the only score I know. It's 417 to 68. Yes, 68. That's the only one I know. Now, that was 55 points between the two of us. And there was still only three points between us at the end. At the end of it. Yeah. And this man on my left here is a legend, Eddie Kerr. <laughs> but he scored 14 points in the, in the 63 final. And Father Tom Murphy was uh, a corner forward and I was the other corner forward. And Billy Dwyer was in the middle. And uh, we scored four goals and a, point, and, and a point between us. Tom got two one and I got two goals. And Seamus Clear was the beautiful silky captain that we had mm. on the team. Great inspirational player. And he scored two points, uh, which was a record. Mm. It was a magical mm. score, you know. Under the pressure, and we were going for our first All Ireland yeah. mm. together, mm. like mm. you know. Yeah. But out of that, we had a lovely bond between the team, and uh, basically, we went from there to a very dark day in '64 against Tipperary. We were beaten by double scores, fourteen points. They scored twenty-eight points. We scored fourteen. And we were never forgiven for it in, in Kilkenny, really, like, you know what I mean, that uh, we played so poorly. <laughs> but anyway, we put a black shade over that. Mm. And we'd go on then, and in 65, 
you see, we're in Nira now when there's no back doors. Every Straight match is, is, is mm. an, a knockout. So consequently, the matches against Wexford were magical matches, great hurling matches, and very difficult to win. And then in the, the 65 final, we had a, f- a full forward by the name of Andy Comfort from uh, Gordon. Now, he's as tall as you, Michael. He's six foot four. And he had a beautiful pair of hands and he was well capable of hitting the ball over uh, the hurdle. But he hit this one over the bar, the black bar to the bar, and the, off- uh, the umpire signaled it wide. Right? So we couldn't, we couldn't claim the point. Okay. So then... Uh, Hopper McGrath, who was pretty famous forward in Wexford at the time, he got a ball under the Hogan stand and hit it into the canal end. And Ollie Walsh was eagle-eyed, and he said it was three foot wide. And the fact they flagged, flagged it. it. Yeah. We were beaten by a point. Mm-hmm. So now we came out of 65 then, and we, 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 we really, I believe, were the best team in Ireland in 66. We had won the Oireachtas and we won the league. And we, we should have won the Iron, but we didn't win the Iron. But I won't take any responsibility for that. <laughs> Who was the final that year in 66? Cork. Cork, Cork came. In With a young yeah, team as well. Very, a very young team. Mm. It was known in Kilkenny as the, uh, the, the pill final, uh, that we were sedated. We're taking pills. <laughs> That's speak. the way we played, anyway. And, and, and this is what they said, anyway. Like you know what I mean. But basically, I think it was the selectors who who took the pills because they took Pad Dillon out of full back and put him up in the full forward line. And poor Pad never played, I think, to my knowledge, mm. in full forward line. Uh, and they put Jim Lynch, who could have made a, a, a presence at full forward, and it was a major element of the game. So, but. We weren't able to beat them anyway, so we were uh, we let that go. Like, okay. you know, but they were a very young Cork team. Cork mm. team like, mm. So if, if I can recap there for a second, so sixty four, well beaten by Tipperary. Obviously, mm. that wasn't mm. that didn't sit too well in Kilkenny, I presume. The following mm. year in sixty five, unfortunately, due to um, that, you know, incident, that had incident with, yeah. with a raising the flag, two, two umpires, two umpires mm. exactly, yeah, which is highly unfortunate. And obviously, thank God we have the um, we've more cameras yeah. now and yeah. we've Hawkeye in in. in um, Park at the minute as well and, and yeah. other stadiums mm. so obviously losing in that year 65 again it was kind of mm. God we, we didn't get a chance to get back maybe and get a chance to maybe to play Tipperary again or, wherever yeah. maybe, or even get back to an Ireland final yeah. um, 66 then unfortunately things didn't go well for you on the day oh. against Cork no. and just for whatever reason Flash. things just didn't happen yeah, yeah. Um, exactly so that, that year then right of 67 which we're obviously here to mm. talk about so that was one driving factor to, mm. to, to beat in 64. Mm. What else was significant that well, year? The big, the big thing for me, I think, was that the loss of 66 was the catalyst. Mm. You know what I mean? Because we, we really got down to, to, the, to the floor and we, we made a determined effort. And there was a sizable change in, in the mentality of the selectors as well, that the team was picked in a particular way. Like You know what I mean? For example... Uh, in the 67 final the selectors and Monsignor Mara particularly was the leader of this each person had a a job to do t- in this particular match right and this is what was going to be expected of you mm-hmm. and they were, all the players were individually spoken to about what they would be expected to do mm-hmm. and the selector said that when the match is over, we'll, we'll tell you whether you hit the mm-hmm. benchmark of where you wanted to do. Yes. And that was an unusual thing to happen, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it was very significant. 
very effective tool because it's if you have one or two jobs to do mm. yeah. it makes it clear it's a narrow focus mm. yeah. right I mark whoever or I have to keep this lad quiet or I keep the ball moving or whatever it may be it's something small and you see these Absolutely. days now with players that have some writing on their hand maybe like work hard or mm. keep the ball moving again just okay. keep remembering look get in the game or whatever it may be you'd see Galloway now and a few teams mm. of that with that kind of stuff but it's something similar mm. again like look one or two things to do yeah. do yeah. that well and you know, if everyone does their job well, yeah. hopefully the scoreboard will take care yeah. of itself. Well, Father Mark, in, in training, he would work individually on each fella. He used to gather us before a match, before the All-Ireland. We used to be in the Hollybrook Hotel, in the ballroom there. And he'd put the team out in a circle like that. And he'd go to each one of them and say... What a couple of words or whatever they need to and, and as Tom said, he's inspirational. But I have to tell this one about... Uh, about that particular day you see as well as that as you probably know Tip at that time were regarded as a very rugged tough and I suppose you could say dirty team that had a reputation and they said they'd always blow Kilkenny out of it uh, with toughness they'd be afraid of him so uh, Kilkenny through um, the selectors and Father Tommy Marr developed a big team as well certainly up the middle like you know from Pat Dillon, Pat Henderson John Teen you know uh, all up the field um, to match the the physique and the physicality of Tipperary but um, I always remember the the talk that morning uh, he'd put us all Ollie Welsh Ted Carroll Pat Dillon and I, I presume you've heard about Paz. Paz had a, a fair reputation, uh, uh, the nicest fellow you ever met, but on the field, if you got on his wrong side, you were certainly in trouble. But anyway, uh, Father Mar, I remember saying to Ollie Welsh, he put Ollie first, Ollie Welsh, you just puck the ball low out to John Teen or Paddy Morn, they'll be out on the wing. Ted Carroll, You'll be on Big Sean McLaughlin. Just keep him out of the square. You don't have to hurl. Just keep him out of the square. And then he came to Pa and he said, Pa Dillon, he said, you're regarded, he said, as a sort of an over-robust hurler, which is an understatement. <laughs> and then he paused and he said, you won't be half robust enough today, he said. <laughs> so he went yeah, through us all like that and gave us one instruction, you know. Mm, that's right. And, and, and you weren't bamboozled with, you know, and what do you tell me here, what do you, you know. He's very yeah. much ahead of his time. Like I oh, see him today, there's some coaches now and it's it's... it's just not, not being educated, I think, mm. more than anything about throwing out, just talking for the sake of talking, giving yes. too much information to players, talking yeah. for five or six, seven minutes, and after 30 seconds, the players have Lost zoned, yeah, zoned yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's so much noise there. So, mm. like, really, a couple of words, and that's yeah, it. You know, that's and, it, and you yeah. stick to that, and you stick remember that. that. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and that's, yeah. you know, saying that to Pat Dillon, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. I like that now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. You are benefiting, actually, Michael, from a lot of the stuff that he did. And he, he instigated. When we started hurling initially, like the training was sort of backs and forwards and a bit of a, yes. a, a poking around and one slitter, I'd say, you know. But he, he introduced all the drills that you're doing now. Uh, uh, okay, they've been expanded and what have you. But he was the first man that sort of scientifically looked at the game and saw the skills that would bring victory to a team. And and s- develop drills to to perfect, if that's the word in hurling, those 
skills and he did them with the teams all from the time he took over in in 57. Tactically he was brilliant as well like um, Tom was talking about the 50s Wexford were the team of the 50s really uh, for most of the 50s and there they had a team of big men and they were the first team uh, we can go back this far now but they were the first team to actually go to catch the ball in the air you know before that it was what they used to refer to as overhead hurling and the ball would land in the middle of the field two lads at pull and God knows where to go but Wexford were the first team to actually develop the skill of protecting the hand and catching the ball when a fellow pulling so uh, Father Mar took over in 57 and that team of 57 was uh, I think most of that team were from junior clubs actually eight of them was there and he developed tactics which may sound simple enough now uh, to counteract the height of the Wexford guys and and hitting the you know getting the ball out low to the wings, wings and working it in and got around this high catching and uh, uh, Kilkenny beat Wexford convincingly in in fifty seven and went on to win the All Ireland. Um, like we could be talking all day about Father Father yeah. Tommy R, but he's the man. I know we have. The teams all along, we have Brian Cody at the moment and all that, but he was the man that really brought Kilkenny firmly back on the map in, in, in the 50s. And um, he, uh, when we talk about Tip and 67, he had a sort of a, a thing that drove us on to beat Tip in All-Ireland because he played actually in the 1945 All-Ireland against Tip and they were beaten. I think there was a few decisions went against him in that too but um, he really wanted to beat Tip uh, and I'd say he was very disappointed in 64 that was the germ for it all right definitely but but we weren't going to be beaten in 67 and he made sure of that for anyone who was interested in reading a book in terms of coaching and the history and legacy of Kilkenny over you know nearly from the the 20s all the way to um, to the 80s 90s Enda McAvoy's book is definitely one to read the godfather of the modern hurling um, the father of Tommy Maher's story I've read a few chapters myself the beauty of this book actually you can dip in and dip out of different chapters so you don't have to read it from scratch but um, there definitely is a lot of really good learnings in the book that we can actually bring to our games um, as of today and get to know more about the legacy of the players that have gone through uh, Kilkenny what I think had a big influence on Tommy Moore thinking was his one and only game for Kilkenny, competitive match for Kilkenny, was the 1945 All-Ireland Final, Kilkenny and Tipperary. Liam Reedy, who was the left-hand forward, broke his ankle in the All-Ireland semi-final against Galway. Uh, there was a place up for grabs. Tommy Marr got it. Now, by rights at the time, he shouldn't have been playing because he was a seminarian in Maynooth. Uh, he was studying for the priesthood in Maynooth. You weren't allowed to play for your county if you were studying for the priesthood. But, of course, there were always ways of getting around that. Players play under assumed names and the like. So uh, he played for Kilkenny. It's one and only match 
for the debut, going to match to uh, have your intercounty debut in the 1945 All Ireland final. Now, what had a big, as I say, influence on his thinking, made a huge impression on him, was that there was no real training for that 1945 All Ireland final. They maybe heard a practice match at each session, then ran laps of the pitch. That's all it was. There was no coaching. There was no emphasis on skills. It was just run around until you broke out in a sweat. Now, other interesting thing about Tommy Moore was he was a mathematician. He was a maths teacher, or would be a maths teacher. So he was all about science, that there had to be more than this, that uh, it wasn't about getting the ball and hitting it, it was about getting the ball and putting a message on it. You hit it to somebody or you hit it to some definite place. Otherwise, how were you ever going to learn new things? How were you going to improve as a hurler? That was his kind of, I think, eureka moment. And Kilkenny had a few players, minors, um, coming through in the early 60s, 61, 62, likes of um, Tom Welch and a few more of them. And they were all quite young, you know, 20, 21, yeah. when it came to 67. What's your reflections of 67, maybe, from the history and from what you've, the people you've spoke to and what yeah. you've read? Kilkenny didn't have a single outfield player over the age of 30. Tipperary had eight of them. And the Kilkenny forwards were aged 23, 23, 26, 24, 23 and 22. The 26-year-old uh, being Eddie Kirk. So Kilkenny were older and wiser than they'd been in 64. They were three years older, had gone over the hill. And 1967 as well, I think, was kind of personal for Tommy Marr. There was always a kind of element of unfinished business for Tommy Marr with Tipperary. 1964 would have increased that. And there were, I think there was a lesson for him in that. And certainly by 66, the league final, when Kilkenny beat Tipperary nine points to seven, their defending was better. They had become harder to beat. They were no longer, we'll say, a soft touch. Mm. And from the 67 or in final, he wanted John T in there at midfield to play on Roach, the great Tipperary midfielder. Now, John Teen was no stylist, but uh, he wasn't there to be a stylist. He was there to stop Roach hurling, because, of course, the first thing you had to do was to win the physical battle against Tipperary, or at any rate, not to lose the physical battle against Tipperary, which is what Kilkenny had been doing for since 1922 or since 1937 in Killarney and a nice little quirk Kenny hadn't been since 1922 All-Ireland Tommy Marr was born in 1922 so he was now 45 it had literally taken them a lifetime all his life to beat Tipperary imagine what it must have been like for those Kenny guys in 1967, mm. who had been hearing all their life about the Tipperary hoodoo, that Kilkenny were afraid of the Tipperary jersey, Kilkenny for the horrors, Tipperary for the men. A few nights before the 67 final, uh, Tommy Marr got a sheet of made for paper, marked out the teams in programme formation. Kilkenny in blue ballpoint, Tipperary in red marker. And he had a couple of Lines, squiggles, arrows going here and there. 
Beside Patty Moran's name, now Patty Moran was a great midfielder, great man to deliver good ball to the forwards, good clean ball. He wanted Patty Moran to deliver the ball quick and low. Uh, he wanted Eddie Kerr and Klaus Dunn to get in behind the Tipperary halfback line. He also had a few other words he scribbled down. Substitution, broken hurley, injuries, free, freeze, cuts, puck out, fear, hand pass from tip, fouls. And he underlined two of those words. He underlined fear and he underlined fouls. And he underlined fear because he didn't want Kilkenny, okay, he didn't want them to be afraid of Tipperary, but he didn't want them to be afraid of losing either. And you know yourself, I think all hurlers have been in that situation. Sometimes being afraid of winning can be a bigger thing than being afraid of losing. And Kilkenny hadn't been Tipperary, beaten Tipperary in the All Ireland final since 1922, 45 years. It was allegedly a hoodoo. So this psychologically was a huge thing for the Kilkenny players, a big thing to overcome. And he underlined fouls because obviously he didn't want them giving away soft freeze. Mick Hayes was the referee. He didn't want Hayes penalising the Kilkenny defenders for hands on the back. So he warned them about them in the Hollybrook Hotel beforehand. Interesting. And uh, that word fear, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one and it pops up pops up in my own mind as well a lot of time, whether it's a fear, it's fear good or bad, you know, if you talk to a sports psychologists, they might say it's bad, but with, with, for certain players it tends to work, that there's fear there maybe of losing, yeah. fear of not playing well, yeah. fear of maybe a player getting the upper hand of you, yeah. and, um, and again, you probably sh- try and turn that fear into... Yeah. You, cha- you challenge it. You challenge it, exactly, yeah. yeah, it's just, there's a good saying there, if you have butterflies in your stomach, you you put, them into, put them butterflies into formation, you know, so quickly, you're, it's a nice little change, like that I'm ready to, to go, and nerves are good, obviously. Um, and there was a great line I saw recently, Tommy Welsh, one of his columns uh, on RT.ie or wherever, he says, the reason Kenny, in your generation, in recent times, kept beating Tipperary, was not because they didn't respect him, it was because they were Respected them and were afraid of them mm. and were always on their guard. Mm. Yeah, and that's I, I'd agree with that as a fear. That's important to have, I think, because if you're overly, if you're very, very confident, yeah. you know. I remember going into one All Ireland years back, and, um, and normally, you know, I'd, I'd have fear of of not playing well. I'm saying, look, I think of one or two things and just get on the ball as yeah. quick as possible. But uh, one of them games, I remember saying, God, I've been going well. It's going around, it's going around in the behind the RTN band, and it's going well. And you know, like, like I can actually do this. I'm fine. You know, I I I'll be flying. I was even actually visualize visualize myself scoring points um, from out on midfield. Well, I didn't puck many balls. <laughs> Unfortunately, it just did not work for me. And um, and thankfully, thank God, Henry Shefflin I think stood up that day in the second half and took the game by the grasp and got us through it. Oh, and, one, and of the, one of the Galway games. One of the Galway games, and we yeah. got a replay of it. And my yeah. God, me, me mind changed pretty quickly on that. And, and it was my mindset that changed. But that's my mindset someone else is going to be completely different I remember Stephen McDonald would have said there he was the Armagh footballer uh, full forward for Armagh and he said he would have got clips of himself sent to his phone where he'd watch himself shooting pints and believing he can do it okay. whereas for me that would not work that would make me maybe complacent thinking I can do this or do that so um, for me it's always getting back to the basics so here with Ned Quinn in the Oris on Carul uh, building would you have known Father Tommy Marr much our stories about him around? not sure Father Tommy Marr is one of the legends of, you know he 
he was the Brian Cody of that era, even though he didn't have the title of manager. I suppose yeah. if Brian Cody hadn't come along, he'd be regarded as the greatest ever. And there's no question Cody is the greatest ever. But yeah. uh, you know the story how Penny Grace asked him when he came over here, and he brought Mick Lanigan in as well, and the two of them then had responsibility. But it, I know Father Mar was always at the coaching, but there were coaching courses that time started in Gormestown. Right, they yeah. would have been Ned Power of Waterford, Donny Needham of Tipperary, John Hanley of Clare, and Father Tommy Marr. They were the people that were given the given the course. The word tactics wasn't used, but yeah. looking back on it, that's what it was. Exactly, that's yeah. what it was. So he used to sports science. Really he had a great yeah, yeah. You know, he had a logical mind and a logical brain, and he would say, "Well, you know, this is the way you should be doing it." And, mm. and he got the players to, to buy into it. To buy into yeah. that, but no one used the word tactics or sports yeah. science or anything like that. But looking back. Exactly what it was a precursor, I suppose, to, to what followed on. So certainly, in the annals of hurling, he's one of the top top yeah. coaches of all time in any county. It's interesting to hear that, and interesting to see at that stage they were bringing in. I need a physio and a doctor as well. And they had a course set up, I suppose, of what we have today. Uh, the doctor. They had more than a doctor. They had a, they had a, a supporter. I mean, uh, Doctor Cuddy was a character in himself, and I hope the Cuddy family and maybe others have told you about the day that he was put out of Croke Park. And then he went around to the far side and he knew the guy on the gate from his days in UCD and got back in again and <laughs> carried on, you know. So and, and the reason he was... Uh, oh, he was I, in the I, thick of the row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I believe it was a league I, final, I think, against Tipperary. Yeah. 68, I think, was it? Yeah, Ali got suspended and John Flanning and they're both dead now. Uh, Dr. Cuddy was a great character. And, and that, in fairness, the, the family, Bill, and well, Bill to a large extent, and Johnny uh, and their brother up in, up in Wicklow, whose first name there was Brendan, uh, three doctors they have carried on that tradition mm. of looking after and actually Brendan was the guy who devised the glove Brendan actually devised yeah, the glove yeah, yeah he did yeah, 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 yeah. great Hurland family great yeah. GA family yeah. and he was time man bringing Mick Lanigan in for the kind of fitness yeah yeah, yeah, honest, yeah, really. yeah and Mick had gone to De La Salle and he was an athlete a top class athlete yeah. hurdles yeah and uh he put the boys to their paces but compared to what you do today now it wouldn't be uh, <laughs> it's not too bad yeah yeah <laughs> So Mick, you were brought in in 1967, correct? Into the Kilkenny yeah. setup. Uh, talk, talk to me a bit about that. You're, look, your background actually, first of all, is actually athletics. So give me a grasp of exactly maybe you know what it was. A hurdles? Or am I right in saying that? Or was it long distance? Or no, mainly hurdles. Yeah, hurdles and sprints. I started off as a high jumper and developed into hurdles, and then the sprinting was you know I won various things. I had to give up athletics and all sport and in 66 was the last time I ever raced I, and the lads asked me would I train the team then and they said physical trainer but it wasn't physical like it was, it was athletic that, training that's exactly know. the question I had for you so you're asking it as a fitness coach really, exactly, exactly. Yeah. and a fitness coach to get more fitter and maybe faster to work on speed or is it more fitness well fitness for what the game was the first thing I suppose I did when they asked me was I got a, a stopwatch and I used to go around to certain matches and I analysed how long lads would be running for okay. and the distance they were. Now before that there was an emphasis on longer, you know, big long sprints and a certain amount of time spent running around the fields which made lads fit for running around fields <laughs> but didn't do too much for, um, for short so distance, yeah. The the, um, the fact was that, and I'm not saying that people didn't realise it, but it, it, had, it hadn't been analysed, you know, that in actual fact, the short sprint and the speed, your reaction times, you know, reaction, and 
The other thing that I noticed was that in those days, the backs, when the ball was coming in overhead, they tended to turn and run so they'd catch up with the ball, <laughs> which meant that they, essentially the forward had the advantage. So we started <laughs> training, and it was very difficult to think of this, to have to train people how to run backwards. Okay. You know, because it's a confidence thing, you know, that if you don't see where you're going. But they got used to training, you know, to running backwards. And that's, I suppose, was the start of people jumping for the ball and they were keeping their eye on the ball, you know, yeah. and that was part of it. Uh, again, it was a transition period in Ireland, apart from in, in the GAA. I mean, um, I'm not too sure did anybody go to college on that 67 team. Oh, Ted Carroll would have done agricultural science. Not one of the rest of them would have gone to college. You know, you had farmer, labourer, steel worker, a lorry driver. Tom Walsh was a manager in a... Paddy Morn was working in the brewery. John Teen was a farmer. Uh, Martin Coogan, he was a general worker. No, Pat Henderson would have been... A, he worked with the design workshops. Pat Dillon would have been a farmer. Jim Tracy worked in the brewery. They were physically working fairly hard all day. All day long, yeah. And uh, so you had to consider that you had to, to judge what they were capable of doing. Mm. If you look at the teams, the profile of the teams now, most of them are, you know, college, yep. 90% of them have gone to college. Yeah, and uh, But these guys, had, a lot of them would have been... Uh, they would have been tired. Yeah, you know, working heavy enough during the day, a bit of manual work, yeah. So you had to take that into account. Uh, the GA was changing as well at the time. I mean, when I went into Nolan Park in 67, there, were no, there was no shower, like in the, you know, and they said that there was no shower. I remember bringing over a, my garden hose with the rose on the end of it and pushing it onto a tap in the toilet. And that was the shower. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it's all right to think that's... Uh, ancient history now yeah. but the money wasn't there and the, you know the stuff wasn't there I had a, a mobile type of um, uh, sauna that you, you put up to so you sat into it you charged the boys a couple of euro or a couple of, <laughs> a couple of pence I didn't actually but <laughs> no that's something I had I should have done now, yeah. <laughs> would there be many training sessions in a year like you know would have been Oh, well, 20 or 30 or 40 even, oh, or? three nights a week three nights a week yeah. okay. now, you wouldn't do that in the middle of winter it'd be fairly intensive but not not as intensive as now in training the team they were very lucky too Ollie Walsh was a, a genius at getting the lads oh, when you go out and we'd have competitions penalty competitions <laughs> and the lads would be taking penalties against Ollie as, as, Shilling the shot, <laughs> and he to see Ali at that stage, and he diving across the goal and blocking. You know, what I mean, and he tell these lads, cut yourself hours, <laughs> he'd wind them up. You know, <laughs> and um, Seamus Clear then from the bridge. Oh God, he just set people mad. He, he was able to take off a dog bark in at one stage, and he'd be, he'd be looking to see where this dog was. <laughs> Sounds like a good character. And it, uh, yeah, they were, they were good characters, yeah. And then again, I suppose that was the first team where running off the ball came in because the lads knew that if they could get Eddie free, I mean, and 
Mm. And sometimes it would be a, a false move in the sense that he'd pretend to be going and they'd hold on to the ball and score themselves. Okay, yeah. You know, so... Yeah. Because you had to, as I say, you had to, to gear the train to what the lads were going to do in the match Excellent, and yeah. what they would be capable of doing as well. I mean, I knew every time before a match that we said three days before the match, Paddy, it's Paddy Moran had always come to me and said, I think I'm getting the flu, you know. Yeah. Of course, by the time the match had come, there'd be nothing It'd wrong. Be grandly. But it gave Paddy Grace then the opportunity to say, oh, we could be without Paddy Moran, see, that is... <laughs> go out to the papers and tell the papers that oh yes, we'll be missing Paddy Moore or whatever yeah. we are. There was always a little side story yeah. to it, you know. Uh, people said that it wasn't a professionally run organisation and in the sense of professionalism it wasn't, but everything was done right, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. in the end. Uh, Without a doubt, you know, with limited resources and limited money, yeah, like it's, it's difficult. Yeah, exactly, and uh, the Grace's house was there was never a time that there weren't four or five or six people in it because, <laughs> because there was no place to really to have a meeting except to go to a hotel uh, Paddy used to deal with all the tickets you see and, and it was really Maureen she'd have but in those days there wasn't a single person in Kilkenny that didn't have a priest or a nun coming home from the States <laughs> and they had to get tickets and Paddy was getting annoyed with it <laughs> uh, he gave me a shout a few times and I had a business done and uh, John's Green, come up, make a bunch of you, say, night go up and then knock on the door, and Paddy will come out, and the language will be F off with your service. You've got your F and tickets, you see. It was all winding. It was all big acting. It was all, uh, yeah, so it was the crowd good. inside in, this, in the room would hear it. You know? <laughs> and uh, after the 67, I learned it's a story that I went up this particular day up to Lennon's pub. I was looking for money from somebody that I knew would be up there but Paddy was up there and he, it was a Friday evening and he was going off to collect he was collecting insurance from a factory on a, on the Fridays and so he was in he was having a drink and there were five or six lads down at the end of the counter and, and they were all they weren't from Kilkenny but they were talking about the best hurling teams you see and the best uh, there wasn't a mention of Kilkenny you see and I could see Paddy getting agitated getting, okay. no he got annoyed I'll stop this he said and he went out and he brought in the, the, the cup from the car and he drop kicked it down the, <laughs> drop kicked it down the bar and that stop all the arguments about who's the best team in Ireland <laughs> And people often wondered afterwards why the cup was a little bit battered and had to be replaced. Had to be replaced, yeah. Had to be refurbished. The other thing that when I was with the Kilkenny team, you had the county board, it was the county champions selected the selectors and the trainer and the the coach. So it's different than now. And the the team uh, who were working with the team would have been Father Mayor, myself, Dr. Cuddy and uh, Dr. Hindle would step in if Dr. Cuddy that was it you know yeah. there was no such thing as um, anybody else interns you know. are more physios or rehab coaches no. are and, and very hard even I mean when you look at, uh, around today the number of uh, physiotherapists or backroom team is, is, is quite yeah big. but even in uh, apart from with the team there was I think there was one semi-professional physiotherapist in Kilkenny at the time Sid Blewett, he, he had been with the Kilkenny team before that. He, he was um, a former boxer, or um, and 
you know, physiotherapy in those days was pound the muscles, pound them, pound them, pound them, and that was about it. You know? So you, you wouldn't be going for a massage then before training there, a nice, a nice handy massage, you'd be avoiding the physio by the sound of it. In those days, you would. But Nick, just on that, you actually had the core of what uh, teams have these days to a certain degree. So obviously now we have maybe two or three physios and you have uh, maybe a skills coach and two sele- yeah. selectors, a manager. Um, obviously there's um, fellas helping out now with, um, obviously there's kits and stuff to be given kit out. Man, there's exactly, food, yeah. kit man. There's yeah. nutritionists. But again, even back then, was there... I know with um, Langton looked after the um, the food and stuff. So again, nutrition was was there. Wasn't it? Like in terms of looking after a bit of food after Paddy Grace was a, was a great man for that. Well, I mean, Paddy was a great uh, players person, and he knew that some of the lads they wouldn't have had anything to eat before they went training. And none of them had cars. There was not one player on that team that had a car. You know, I mean, that, so the, all the hearts back then. Transport had to be organised, and Paddy was a great man that. Um, you know, if um, he knew somebody wasn't that well off, like he'd, he'd organise, um, he'd organise the cars, and I don't know where the, <laughs> I don't know what excuses put into the books for it, but it worked, and it worked for the players. Like I mean, that's he was a very good players man. There's no question or doubt. He would have had a big influence on the on the selection of the team too, because he was a very strong character. You know, he wasn't supposed to be a selector, but. Uh, he, he, was he was excellent. He was there, uh, you know, I mean, training in that too, I suppose, was he? Oh, God, sure, you couldn't open really one. You couldn't open one in park without him. Without him. Yeah. Paddy Grace was secretary from 1947 to 1984. And if ever there has been a Mr. Kilkenny, that's that, Paddy that, Grace was Mr. Man. Kilkenny, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And how did he even last that long? Ah, he, was, yeah. he, he was just an outstanding character, an outstanding man. Of course, he was a great hurler. Yeah. He won two All Ireland medals, 1939 and 1947, right. and then he became secretary that year. And he just had this way with him, particularly with players. You know, he would be referred to time and time again as a players' man. Everything mm-hmm. was for the players. And uh, I mean, I won't tell the stories of him, but there's the stories about Paddy that could be told. And his wife Maureen and go up to the house in New Park to get the tickets, and <laughs> he'd have the good ones under the kettle and the not so good ones under the something else, and, <laughs> and then. Depending on who you were, then what you got. Yeah, so he was very good for giving to people who were who were going to the games. Ah, yeah, that's that's yeah, the yeah. word. And he was very very good to the surviving wives of former players, if or if people were down and out. He was very very good to. Them. And I witnessed that firsthand myself. Mm. I know people, I know people, friends of mine, and I know other people as well that I know well. Uh, when say a former player of his era had died, and he. The Christmas box would arrive every year, and he'd always say, "That's for the children now. Get something for the children." Mm. And if you met, you know, the wife of a former player, even the day of a match, and the team were in a hotel, and I witnessed this as well, she'd be brought in and have to do it. No, sounds nothing in today's world, which is a huge thing. Yeah, I said, "I know he was a great, 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 great man." And Kilkenny Hurling and GA is deeply, deeply indebted to, to Paddy Grace. That's why he's done, yeah. yeah. If you talk to the players of the '67 team or any of the teams back that time. What comes out immediately is the respect they had for him mm. and the regard they had for him and in a way they played for him. He had a huge importance building the field. And in the 50s like or the 40s there was just a very small bank. Next thing you got a big bigger bank mm. and next thing like there was concrete and steps like that mm. you had. Mm. And then it, it's a lovely f- stadium now. Like, bottom, you know, so. yeah. And uh, everybody would remember in Kilkenny like you know going up to Grace's. Mm. It was an open house, like, you know mm. what I mean? 
<laughs> so I was open from morning to night, bang, 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 bang. But Paddy would go off and leave morning yeah. <laughs> deal with some of them coming in, like you see. And uh, but, but, it was but he was here to the, he had, the genuine. He, he had guys, a wonderful yeah. capacity to understand that he was given the ticket to a GMM mm. without any offence. Mm. He was one of the few people that I, I can say like that. He never had anything bad to say about anyone. He only saw the good points of everybody. Mm. But I mean, like, he knew every GA person mm. in the, his 36 years of being oh, secretary. Yeah, like, great Massive. I'm a niece of Tom Walsh's. My name is Edwina Grace, and I'm also a granddaughter of Paddy Grace. Even though he's dead since 1984, people still ask me about him. They ask stories about him. They tell me tales about how he maybe if they were a hurler he slipped them a little bit of money or helped them get a job um, just that whole sense of community that he bought into with the GA and how much he very much felt for the hurlers themselves they, he felt they were very much to the fore of the GA and less so the officials didn't really have a whole lot of time for officialdom though uh, he was an official ultimately himself he felt it was very much all about the players and I have heard and I have had hurlers down through the years again I'm not going to reveal who they were but they did come to me and they said your grandfather got me out of a hole your grandfather um, gave me some money when I had none your grandfather helped me to find a job and it's it's an amazing legacy you know to have that so many years on very much yes a players man very much a hurling man and I mean you hear so many stories I know there, were, there was talk of tickets coming down because as much as he was a fan of the, the hurlers, he did have time for the true GA fans. And I know I've heard stories over the years of tickets coming down from headquarters in Dublin for All-Irelands that weren't maybe for the best seats and granted saying, they're not playing. Send the tickets back up. If you don't send us back down proper tickets, Kilkenny won't be fielding a team. And he, he was very, he was very much a man who really, really believed so much in the players that he believed if something was in their interests he would very firmly stand behind them and stand up for them um, and he would fight their cause and there's nobody would have gotten through to him once he kind of set his mind on something like that nobody could change it his heart was in the right place or his head as well like steak was the thing we got like yeah. you'd hear other even up to even comparatively recent times the players were sort of given out but in other they, counties they were getting Sandwiches or oh, I see. Yeah, stuff right, like that. Right, Whereas right, right, right. in that time for training, we got steak in in, yeah. in Langtons afterwards. Yeah. But it's like Paddy sort of said, like lads were coming and we were going back to Dublin. Yeah. Lads are coming and they were yeah. probably rushing to training. So you do it all the time now, uh, not having eaten, you know. So he he looked after the guys. If you had to pick two players over the last ten years that you'd like to have actually back then, back in the sixties on your team. So, for my generation, and you can exclude myself now, uh, would there be two lads there that you'd like to have back in the 60s there uh, on your team? Well, you see, there was a, a huge change from our era, you know, mm. of the 60s. I mean, <clears throat> the ball was so heavy, mm. you know what I mean? It was like a, a mop when, mm. when, <laughs> when it wet. rained heavy. And <laughs> a, big, uh, a stone area. Thing, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. A, a big tie around it, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And then the helmets came in. The helmets weren't in play like in my time. Mm. And before that, most people had might have a cap. That's the mm. only thing they had <laughs> yeah. going out. But it wasn't a, a, a sort of I think that would, would, would save an injury. Mm. You know what I mean? So the, the, they were big elements. The ball change was big. 
and the helmets were big I think in terms of the physical element of it as well like, you know someone like Richie Hogan would be no good to you back then small and small and no, skillful but sure. no, good, no, good, good players are always welcome uh, the, the trouble is uh, I'm thinking of two players immediately um like DJ and Henry, but then we might get our places. Then two backs, two backs, yeah, yeah. The the teams from the two thousand to now have been absolutely massive. I mean, those teams are phenomenal. Like you could pick fifteen out of those teams, no yeah, other. Yeah. You know. Well, I, yeah. I I suppose like again, just looking at the decades, come to the fifty. Go back to the 40s and get one. Come to the 50s, you get one. Come to the 60s, you get three. Come to the 70s, you get four. Win four. Mm-hmm. You come to the 80s, we get two. Come to the 90s, we get two. And the first decade of the millennium, thanks be to God, we got seven. Mm-hmm. All Ireland winning that in, the, in that thing. Mm-hmm. So like there was a graduation. It, sure was, yeah. it wasn't going backwards. Mm-hmm. The graph yeah. was good, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Putting it the other way, would you like to be playing in the 60s? Uh, 60s. It'd be good and strong enough. I don't know. I don't know. In my first few years um, with Kenny from, let's say, 06 to 2010, even, I would have felt the physicality was, was still like mid, in midfield, a lot of big players. Yeah. I would have found it hard maybe to get away from a player or to break through mm. a tackle. And, you know, mm. um, I suppose conditioning, doing weights and that was mm. quite new. In 06, mm. I was about 21 at this at the time. So it does take a number of years for that to, to, to come through. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, it did. And obviously, I've gotten stronger mm. and bigger. Mm. And um, so, yeah, definitely. I think there's it's a huge physicality at the moment. Obviously, back in your day, mm. my God above, um, it was it was another level again, I think. And as I said, I'd be quenching looking at it. Um, yeah. And yeah. for me for me not to wear a helmet in training, mm. I'd die. You know, if <laughs> yeah. the ball come down and hit me in the head yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, land in my face or something. Or, or if you're going to hug someone, you get an end of a hurl. Mm. Like, all that stuff was... Mm. God, I'd die without a helmet now, to be honest. Yeah. And even yeah. the hurls you use, lads, back then. My oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at one out there and I was cleaning out the shed there one day. I think, uh, I don't know what year it was but don't burn back. it anyway because I know where it is now but um, <laughs> just like when you see this size of the boss yeah. like there's only just like, it's tiny. It's like a hockey yeah. stick yeah. for all the world yeah definitely more well ahead in terms of the uh, sports science kind of thing oh, definitely yeah. getting into the right areas of the physical yeah. fitness yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. physio obviously doctor and yeah. still a bit of nutrition and obviously you haven't a nutritionist yeah. but still yeah, you were getting fed and in this programme, we had a look at the build-up to the game, found out about some of the personalities in the management team and the support and nurturing the players received. Talk to you this time next week, when we get to know some of the hurlers who played in the 67 All-Ireland Hurling Final. I'm Michael Fenley, thanks to all the guests who contributed, and thank you for listening. September 3rd, 1967, the black and amber tide turns. Presented by Michael Fenley. Produced by Monica Hayes, Linda Mooney and Sue Nunn. September 3rd, 1967, the black and amber tide turns was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television license fee and is sponsored by Castlecomer Credit Union. Celebrating 50 years of dedicated service to our members since 1967.